morning. It's a beautiful Lord's Day morning. It's a joy and a privilege to be able to welcome each of you to our services today. We're so glad you're here. I know we have a host of folks that are gone today. This is probably uh, the most of our own folks that will be gone on one Sunday uh, throughout the whole year. We've got a lot of folks gone, but as I look out today, I see a lot of guests. and We are truly honored to be able to welcome you if you're visiting our services today. We're so thankful you've chosen to come our way, and I hope that uh, you won't rush off too quickly after we are dismissed, but give us a chance to really express our appreciation to you for being here. It was my privilege and honor this past Friday to be able to lead the invocation at the retirement ceremony of Major Yolanda Glenn from the United States Air Force. And she is here this morning, and I want to extend my congratulations to her. Her and her family have meant a lot to this church through the years and uh, almost three decades of service to the Air Force. She is leaving that part of her life. I expected a lot of formality at a ceremony like that with the military being involved, but Instead, it was very informal. It was very warm, and uh, I enjoyed it so very much being a part of that. So we certainly want to congratulate her, and she's about to begin a new phase in her life. Uh, I think it's near Melbourne, Florida, where she'll be uh, the head over the junior ROTC at a school there. So we wish her all the best in the world. Got to see Alexis. I was stunned. She's taller than I am now. And, of course, uh, uh, Brittany and all the rest of her family, it was certainly good to see them. I was handed this announcement. Uh, Eddie Redden, this is the brother of Beryl Bird, uh, seriously ill in England. And uh, Sister Bird asks us all to please uh, keep him in mind in our prayer. So I hope you'll do that. And uh, let's try to encourage all those who are, are not feeling well. Let's encourage those who... Are sick. You know, prayer, I think all of us would agree, is that which is grand, it's wonderful, it's very powerful. Prayer is something that we ought to engage in on just about every situation we can imagine. Prayer improves our relationship with God because it improves our communication with God. Prayer is a wonderful wonderful thing. Prayer is a way to get God to do things for us that he normally wouldn't do if we didn't pray. But I want to emphasize today that there are those situations in which it is wrong to pray. And I want to discuss those situations today under two main headings. I want to talk about when it might be wrong for those outside the body of Christ to pray. And then I want to spend a few minutes talking about when it would be wrong for those in the church to pray. But before getting into that specific point, I would first of all like to mention a few facts to keep in mind that we need to remember concerning prayer itself. You know, we need to understand that prayer must be done according to what God has dictated in his word, or else that prayer will not be effective. 
Prayer is the earnest, sincere desire of an individual's heart expressed to God. Paul said in Romans 10 and verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And so God is not going to hear and acknowledge the prayer of an individual that's in rebellion to his will. The prophet of old said in Isaiah 59 in verse 2, Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The psalmist said in Psalm 66 and verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 3 and verse 12 that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so for our prayers to be answered, they must be prayed by people who are submissive to the Lord's will. And also, if we want our prayers to be effective, we need to be the kind of people who have a willing spirit to obey the Lord. You see, unless we're willing to submit our will completely to God's will, then all the prayers that we pray simply will not be effective. Long ago, the wise man said in Proverbs 28 and verse 9, He who turns away his ear from hearing the law... Even his prayer shall be an abomination. Or think about what John said in 1 John 3 and verse 22. Whatsoever we receive of him, we do that because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We can't be like the man I heard about in the Civil War who said, you know, I'm just going to be neutral. I'm not going to get involved whatsoever. And so he wore a blue shirt and he wore gray pants and he got shot at from both sides. You know, we can't be neutral when it comes to serving the Lord. If we want our prayers to be effective, we have to genuinely and wholeheartedly serve the Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And Do not the things which I say, Luke 6 and verse 46. And then may I suggest today that prayer must be offered in complete harmony with the will of the Lord up in heaven. The Bible says this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, 1 John 5 and verse 14. And so prayer must be according to the will of God. Now, in that case, Paul said in Ephesians 5 and verse 17, Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And therefore, brethren, if we're going to pray to God, if we're going to pray to God effectively, we have to take the time. And learn what God's will is. Because it's only when we ask in prayer according to his will that the Bible says that God will hear us. Now suppose Noah, back there in Genesis chapter 6, suppose Noah said, God, listen, I've lived a good life. 
I'm tired and I just really don't feel like working and building this ark. Suppose Noah said, God, I'm just going to pray to you. I'm pouring out my heart in prayer to you to ask you to save me and my family. But I don't want to build that ark. Is there any way that Noah could have been saved by simply praying? Does not the Bible say about Noah in Genesis 6 and verse 22, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. 1 Peter 3 and verse 20 says that Noah and his family were saved by water. They were saved when they complied with the Lord's will. You know, someone might say today and have the attitude, well, you know, I believe that God is going to take care of us. And I'm just going to ask God and I'm going to pray to God to give me food and to give me clothing and to give me shelter. And, and I'm going to put all my trust and all of my confidence in God. And I believe that God will take care of me. Now, the Bible does tell us in Matthew 6 and verse 11 that we need to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But the Bible also tells us in Genesis 3 and verse 19, in the sweat of your face shall you eat bread. When Paul wrote the Thessalonians over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, he said, If any man would not work, neither should he eat. Now, it's wonderful for us to pray. It's wonderful for us to thank God for our blessings, but an individual that goes out and prays to God for bread and prays uh, to God for all the things to sustain his life that individual needs to be the kind of person that's willing to work to get those things provided for himself. You see, God will not and does not provide for man anything that man cannot provide for himself. Now, these are just a few. We could talk about many more fundamentals regarding prayer that I think we really ought to consider. Let's now get to the heart of our lesson today. First of all, I want to talk about when it's wrong for those outside the body of Christ to pray. You know, I believe there's a lot of misunderstandings today among religious people in our world today, and they really and genuinely believe in God they believe in the Bible, yet they have never obeyed the gospel. There's a lot of misunderstandings there about prayer. You know, it's really wrong for one who's not a Christian to say, you know, God, just give me knowledge. God, give me understanding. God, please let me know what your will is. That's a wonderful thing for us to desire knowledge, isn't it? We're to hunger and thirst after righteousness. But the Bible says in Psalms 119, 130, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Paul said in Ephesians 3 and verse 4, whereby when you read 
you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. You see, people today, I don't care who you are, we need to realize we gain knowledge by reading the Word of God. We do not gain knowledge by asking God to just give us knowledge. Now, I wish that were the case. I wish it were as simple as praying to God to give us knowledge, but it doesn't happen that way. That's why we're told to search the scriptures, John 5 and verse 39. We're admonished to search the scriptures daily, Acts 17 and verse 11. Isaiah 34 and verse 16 tells us to seek out the book of God and read therein. So you see, the way people obtain knowledge of God is by the study of his word. And so you see, it's wrong to pray for knowledge. The Bible says that comes through a study of God's divine will. And it's also wrong, I think, for those outside the Lord's church to pray that God would quicken them, that God would just make them alive spiritually, that he would give some sign or some message or some experience apart from the word of God up in heaven. When you think about it, people today often have the idea that God just kinds of gives them some kind of message or some kind of sign that he wants them to change their lives. Someone may say, well, you know, I was out alone somewhere. God spoke to me. Or uh, I saw a vision or I had a dream or there was this particular situation in my life and I know that was God's way of quickening me, making me alive spiritually. In fact, in the largest denominational church in our whole nation, their standard manual says that the candidates are told to come before the church, make their statements, and give their experience. Then their reception is to be decided upon by a vote of the members. You see, the idea here is is there's got to be some kind of supernatural experience, something that would prick the heart of man. But see, we need to realize the Bible says it's the entrance of your word that gives light. It gives understanding to the simple, Psalms 119, 130. Jesus said in John 6 and verse 63, it is the spirit that quickens that makes alive the flesh profits nothing the words i speak to you jesus said they are spirit and they are life and so the bible makes it very plain that the only way the spirit of god can quicken and make alive spiritually the heart of anybody is by means of the word of god because the bible's very specific that the Spirit works through the Word. That's why the Bible declares in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 15, For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. We are called, the Bible says, by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14. And so we need to 
talk to those who are outside the body of Christ. We need to be very kind, very tactful, very loving and understanding, but we need to somehow make folks to be aware of the fact that there's not going to be any visions. There's not going to be any dreams. There's not going to be any voice from heaven. There's not going to be any kind of experience that God's going to give you to make you alive spiritually. And it's wrong to pray for such. If a person is outside the body of Christ, the only way that individual is going to be quickened is through the word of God. Luke 8 verse 11 says the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. Mark chapter 4 and verse 14 talks about how the sower sows the seed. Now the truth about it is this. When the word of God is understood in the heart of an individual, when the word of God is taught to an individual who is outside of Christ, and that word falls on a good and honest heart, then it brings forth fruit. And it causes that individual to change his life. And that's the way that God calls people today. Let me also suggest to you this morning that it's also wrong for one outside the body of Christ to pray that that God would just give him faith. Now, I think that's a common idea today. You want more faith? Just pray for more faith. Well, we need to realize today for those in the church, as well as those outside the church, that the Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You remember the night our Lord was about to die. The night he was betrayed. We remember that fervent prayer our Lord prayed in John chapter 17. And notice how he prayed for all believers in the future. He prayed there in verse 23. For them who shall believe on me through their word. Through the apostles' inspired words. That's how faith was to be created in the lives of people. And so Jesus made it very plain here that the way men believe today on God is through the word of God. That's why John chapter 20 and verse 30 says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written, why John? That you might believe and that believing you might have life through his name. How do you get faith today? How is your faith increased? It's when you read the things that are written. I think we also need to realize today that we ought not pray and It's really wrong for one outside the body of Christ to pray that one would just be given repentance by God. Now, a lot of people today talk about the idea, you know, let God touch your heart. You know, God can just miraculously change you from the inside out. He can instantaneously 
change you into the kind of person that you ought to be. Now, I think that's a misconception. It's wrong to pray that God would make a man to repent. It's wrong for somebody outside the Lord's church to pray that God would send repentance or that God would touch his heart in some way. You know, the Bible talks about repentance as being something that the individual does. Those folks in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 were told, you repent and be converted. You see, repentance is done by the individual. And we need to understand that God is never going to just change the mind of an individual. The changing of a person's mind has to be done by the individual himself. Acts 17 verse 31 says that God commands all men everywhere to repent. You see, the thing that causes people to repent is the fact that God has commanded it. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish, Luke 13, verse 3. So you see, it's wrong to pray that that God would just send repentance. I think it's also wrong today for one outside the body of Christ to, to pray that they would be born Again, Now, this is a very common occurrence that we hear in the religious world today. People talk about today the idea, I was born again. I prayed this prayer and, and God came into my heart and he saved me. I was born by the Spirit. But the Bible tells us in James 1 and verse 18... Of his own will, he begat us by the truth. That word begat there means to be born again. We purify our souls. How, Peter? Well, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, he says, You purify your souls by obeying the truth. The Lord put it this way in John 3 and verse 3. He says, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that new birth takes place by a man's actions when he submits himself to the Lord in baptism. And in that act of baptism, he's baptized into the family of God. That's something that the individual must resolve to do. But then let me also suggest today that it's wrong for one outside the body of Christ to pray for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. It simply doesn't happen that way. You recall Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Those folks were pricked in their hearts and, and they cried out, Men and brethren, what Shall we do? What was Peter's answer? He said in verse 38, You repent, and you be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. You see, they were not told to pray that their sins might be remitted. They were told to repent and to be baptized 
so that their sins might be forgiven. Saul was told in Acts 22 and verse 16, Why do you wait? Why are you putting it off? Arise and and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so I think there's a lot of people out there in the world that are very sincere, very honest. But if we're not careful, they do wrong when they pray. Let's briefly, in closing, turn the attention our way more so. Let's talk about when it might be wrong for members of the Lord's church to pray. For example, isn't it wrong, isn't it somewhat hypocritical for us to pray that God's will might be done here on this earth and then we turn right around and refuse to do God's will ourselves? You know, our Lord taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 that the Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said and made it very clear in Matthew 7 and verse 21 that it's only those that do the will of the Father that will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so if we're going to pray that God's will be done on this earth, then doesn't it make sense that you and I need to be involved in trying to do the will of the Father ourselves? And brethren, I'm also convinced that it's really wrong and perhaps hypocritical for us to pray for the salvation of the lost, for us to pray for lost souls, for us to pray that those who become unfaithful, that they might be restored to the Lord when we don't really put forth any effort to try to reach the lost or try to bring back the unfaithful. Remember Paul's attitude in Romans 10 and verse 1? My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That's why Paul could say, I endure all things for the elect's sake. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10. You see, when we pray for the lost... We need to become involved in trying to reach the lost. I think about Paul's meeting there with the elders at Ephesus as he met for them for the very last time. And in Acts 20 and verse 31, he told those elders, Therefore, watch and remember that for the space of three years, I did not cease to warn you day and night with tears. Paul was concerned about them. He was concerned about their salvation. And Paul stayed there and he worked with them. That's why Paul said, Therefore, I am pure from the blood of all men. I wish I could say that, don't you? That I'm pure from the blood of all men, that I've never let opportunities pass by to to reach a friend or to reach a co-worker that is lost in sin. But Paul could say that. And so let's not just, you know, pray prayers that, that sound good and maybe make us feel good. But when we pray for the lost, let's be willing to reach out to them. And I believe it's also wrong for us to pray for the widows and the orphans and, you know, those that are less fortunate than we are 
when we think that we have satisfied our obligation by doing that, but then we don't really make the effort to try to alleviate their needs. Did not James talk about pure religion in chapter 1, verse 27? And a part of pure and undefiled religion was seeing after the needs, visiting the fatherless and the widows in their afflictions. As we therefore have opportunity, and those opportunities are numerous, aren't they? Let us do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. The Bible says that we need to be aware of trying to alleviate the needs of those who are less fortunate. Or what else about it today? Is it not wrong for us in the Lord's church to, to pray for unity and to pray for peace in the Lord's church and then turn right around and do those things that cause strife and division? There's really nothing more important than peace and unity in the Lord's church. doesn't happen automatically. If a group of people are united together, they have to work on it every single moment. It takes diligent effort in order to have unity among God's people. That's why we're admonished to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians 4 and verse 14. May God help us to be genuine and honest and sincere in our prayers to God. Or what about those that are sick? Is it not really wrong for for us to pray for the sick and we don't do anything to encourage the sick? We don't visit the sick. Maybe we don't send cards or we don't call them or encourage them. If we pray for the sick... And I think we need to do everything we can to try to help the sick in every way that we can. And I appreciate the way so many of you practice that. So much encouragement is mustered right here among you toward those who are dealing with various difficulties. And what an encouragement that is. And is it not also wrong, though, for us to pray for the Lord's church to grow And to flourish. But then we don't do anything to help the Lord's church to grow. I hope every person here today is concerned about the growth of the church. And when we pray for the church here and the church throughout the world, when we pray for the church, let's realize that as we pray that prayer, every one of us have the obligation to make that prayer become a reality. See, it's wrong for us to to pray for the Lord's church to grow. And then we don't use our influence to help the Lord's church to grow. Maybe we don't attend as we should. We don't involve ourselves in the functions of the church as we should. But we pray for the church to grow. And if we pray for it to grow, we need to do everything that is within our power. To cause the church of our Lord to grow and to flourish. As we close today, again I want to emphasize that prayer is extremely valuable. Prayer is that which we ought to engage in 
We ought to pray without ceasing. The Bible says that, that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. Luke 18 verse 1. The Bible says in James 5 and verse 17 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does much good. And I seriously doubt that, that we pray to God as we should. Many times we're not as thankful to God as we should be. And we don't express <clears throat> that thanks to Him. So many times, if we're not careful, we may turn to God, you know, when we're desperate, when there's some kind of tragedy, when there's a serious event in our lives. But, but when we pray, let's not think that just prayer and prayer alone is going to accomplish anything. But let's understand that we have to be involved in doing his will ourselves. And let's realize that, that as we work ourselves individually and collectively, making sure that our prayers are answered, folks, there's going to be benefits to that that we've never even imagined. Now this lesson today has not been brought in any way to take away from the power and the wonderful privilege of prayer. Because it is a great privilege. Rather, it's been given today to, to try to clear up some misconceptions that, you know, prayer is a cure-all, that it's a substitute for obedience because such is not the case. I want to ask you this morning, are you a person that prays to God? Can you call upon God as your father? Can you pray to God today and, and have confidence that you could pray effectively? As a parent, if your son or your daughter, or as a child, if your mom or your dad, or maybe your husband or your wife, if someone was very critically ill, could you have the confidence that you could go to God in prayer, asking God to bless that individual, having confidence that that prayer would be answered? Because you're the kind of individual that's striving with all of your might to do the Lord's will. You may be here this morning and you can't even call God your father because you're yet outside his family. And yet today we give you the opportunity to change that. You can leave here today and be able to call God your father by your willingness to obey the gospel. If you today in simple trusting faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God, if you're willing to repent of your sins and confess the name of Jesus that he is the Son of God. You can be baptized into Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins. The invitation is yours.